You're listening to the First Baptist Starkville podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can listen to our sermons as soon as they're available every week. We hope this message will be a blessing to you. There is a wind of sin that has torn through our society, and we can see its effects all around. We have experienced too many tragedies here recently in our community. We've had parents who have had to bury their own children. We have had families who are being destroyed by addiction, by unfaithfulness. We've seen substance abuse, whether it be alcohol or drugs, continuing on the rise, especially from those aged 29 to 40. There is a world that we know that has been corrupted by sin. Sin has come like a wind tearing through our society and leaving damage in its wake. I think about, for example, just this past week, what Florida experienced, and our hearts are prayer and prayers are with the people in Florida, but a historic storm down there as Adelia came through and hit a portion of Florida that hadn't been hit by a hurricane that that big in 125 years. And there was a certain newspaper that I was reading this week, and it captured a little bit of a survivor story. It said this. It said, hours after the waters of the Gulf of Mexico swept through the house, Donna Knight emerged in a windbreaker in boots to try to get her Chevy SUV to higher ground. Listen to what she said. It came through. The whole ocean, she said, describing a night of howling wind, frightening bangs, flying debris. As Hurricane Adelia blew through Cedar Key, a conglomeration of tiny islands connected by bridges just three miles into the Gulf, by noon on Wednesday, the center of the Category 3 storm had passed, and she and her 19-year-old son knew that they had survived. We should have gotten off the island, she said. Much of Cedar Key, a series of tiny islands just jutted into the Gulf, was covered by a storm surge overnight as the hurricane came ashore. We know destruction. We know disappointment. We know what it means to live in a society of failed expectations and failed dreams. But I want to talk to you today about a different kind of wind. It's a kind of wind that's blowing all through our society. It's a kind of wind that's not so much a destructive wind. It's a kind of wind that builds you up. Now, no doubt that wind that comes, this gospel wind that I'm talking about, no doubt when the Holy Spirit blows the wind of the good news of the salvation in Jesus Christ, there may be strongholds in our life that, we need, to, that need to be torn down. There may be altars that we have erected to false gods of our own imagination that will indeed need to bow before King Jesus. But I want to talk to you about an opportunity that we have as a church to lean into a different kind of wind. Not a wind that brings destruction, but a wind that builds up society. Would you take your Bible, please, and join me in the book of Luke? At the very end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Now, let me set the stage for you as we look at Luke chapter 24. Luke is going to tell this story, and I'm going to do my best to read this story along with you and teach this story to you to 
take you along so that we can see how Luke is telling this story. Just to be technical for just a moment, there's a certain series of words that he strings together. If you're technical and you enjoy linguistics, then these are what is called in the Greek aorist participles. He takes these aorist participles and he joins them all together. So it's like whatever's going on, there's an interruption. And that's what Luke's trying to tell us. And here at the very end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 23, Jesus has just been crucified, Jesus has just been buried. Luke chapter 23, verse, verse 55 said, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb. They saw how his body was laid. And then verse 56, then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. Now look at chapter 24 and verse 1. It's the first interruption that happens, but on the first day of the week, so that's a contrast. Something is, something's intended as we read this Bible to grab our attention. It's here's what happened. Jesus is dead. They buried him on the tomb, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they'd prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, here's the, first, here's the first interruption. Look at how it's written just in your English there. While they were perplexed. In other words, another translation says, while they were at a loss. Here they are. Get the scene in your mind. They're expecting one thing. They're expecting to find the body. After all, this is what they just saw. They saw the way that they laid him. Did they lay him like this? Did they lay him like this? Well, these women knew because they were there. And they, had, they know what happens when they see a body that's laid in a tomb. It usually doesn't move. However you lay it is how it's going to sit. And here they have this expectation they're bringing the spices. They're performing their duty. They're taking care of the body of their dead Lord. And notice this beautiful interruption. They walk in. Here's the stone rolled away. Something has happened. Here is the body of the Lord. They can't see it anywhere. It's not there. And notice the interruption, verse 4. While they were perplexed. They're scratching their heads. They're at a loss. They don't know what's going on. While they were perplexed about this, Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And look at this next phrase, verse 5. And as they were frightened. Do you see that? It's the same kind of interruption. They are perplexed as well as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? Verse 8. And they remembered his words. Verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now, that's the first interruption. Let's follow along the text because Luke's going to prepare a second interruption for us. Look at verse 13. That very day, it's like we're not missing a beat. Luke's telling the story. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And here's the interruption. Listen. 
and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. Here's their interruption, verse 15. While they were talking. Here they are talking about all of these things, discussing together. Verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing. Verse 17, and he said to them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And notice their reaction. And they stood still. But notice the way that they looked. The Bible says they looked sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know about these things that had happened? And then in a direct irony, Jesus, who is the risen Lord, well, of course he knows what happened. And he says, Tell me about it. What things? And then verse 21, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And so then we have this second interruption. And there's a third interruption that I want you to see. At verse 36, as they were talking about this, these things. Here is, we're with the disciples now. We've moved from the women on the tomb. We've moved down to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And now here we are in the upper room. Now here we are where the disciples are gathered in verse 36, as these disciples were talking about these things, in the middle of their conversation, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, peace to you. But look at verse 37. They were startled, and they were frightened, and they thought that they'd sent a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? I want to tell you this morning that there is an interruption that you and I have as an opportunity as a church, as we think about the winds of sin that have torn through our society. People are wondering where there's hope. People are wondering what to do, how to make sense of life, how to make sense of the world. What should I do with the rest of my life? You and I get to come as those who know this story, those who have had an encounter by faith with the risen Lord. And just as Luke is presenting this story of resurrection hope as the greatest interruption in history, so we as a church get to join in that movement to go into a world that's been devastated by the consequences of sin, to go into a world that's lost and hopeless, and we get to tell them, hey, hey, there's some good news. Jesus is alive. And there are three particular interruptions that I want to point out. The interruption first is the gospel interrupts. The gospel comes as a joyous interruption first to a world who's at a loss. These ladies here in the very beginning, verse 4, it says they were perplexed. In other words, they're at a loss. They don't know what to do. They had this one plan, they had this one motivation, and now all of a sudden they come, and whatever they had hoped was going to happen, now they're sort of left holding the bag. They don't know what they're going to do. Our world is filled with people who right now, they're at a loss. They don't know what to do. And sometimes, if they're honest, the best that they can do is just go around a circle, a cul-de-sac of their own reasoning. The Bible says, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. They, they 
think that they know the right thing to do, but in reality they don't know because they've not been directed of how and what to do. And they're just simply at a loss. The gospel also comes not just simply at a, and interrupts a world full of loss. It also comes and interrupts a world full of disappointments. Notice these other characters here. These other characters uh, on the road to Emmaus. Look at verse 21. The Bible says, but they hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. In other words, they had all of their expectations, and some of those expectations weren't met. They knew what it was like to live in a world full of disappointment. Is there anyone within the sound of my voice who knows what it's like to be disappointed? Have you ever made plans maybe had dreams. My wife tells me that I'm the worst at this because sometimes I don't communicate to her what I expect, and then she doesn't do what I think that she should do, and then she gets, she gets upset with me because I get upset with her because I didn't tell her what to expect. Is there anyone in here who knows what it's like to feel the weight of disappointment? Well, you're not alone. There were individuals in the text. Here they have just lived with Jesus, saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, And then all of a sudden, their whole world is crumbling, falling apart. They'd set their hopes. They'd set their expectations in one direction. And in in here, from their perspective, it didn't work out like they wanted it to work out. It didn't work out like they thought that it should work out. I remember my pastor teaching me a lesson when I was under his teaching. He, He taught us all, and this is the truth. He said, disappointment is inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. Disappointment is inevitable. You're going to be disappointed, but you don't have to be discouraged about it. And you say, well, what do you mean I don't have to be discouraged about it? This passage here shows us exactly why we, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be discouraged. Now, they didn't know it yet, but they're going to know it, and we'll look at that in just a minute. They didn't know it yet, but God is going to take their disappointment, and he's going to enlarge their vision to see what it is that God's about. Friend, listen to me. You may be here this morning, and things may not have worked out like you wanted it to. It's inevitable. That happens to the best of us. But discouragement is a choice. And listen, because of the resurrected Lord, because Jesus has gone into death and conquered death and come out from the other side of death to come fully alive, now we don't have to be discouraged. Now we can trust in Him. It doesn't mean that we'll always understand things. That's not, that's not really the point. The point is, is that we're able to say exactly what Job said, the lesson that God taught Job back in the Old Testament. Even though He slay me, the worst thing imaginable that could happen to me, I'm still going to trust Him. Now, I'll be honest, that takes a lifetime of discipline to get there. But because of the resurrection, because of the power of the Spirit, now in our world, because now there's this gospel wind that has come into this world, this gospel wind that has interrupted the chaos and tragedy with hope, now you and I, we can say, you know what, I may not understand things, but I can trust Him. Are you there yet, friend? Can you confidently say that, you know, I don't understand, but I do trust him? So the gospel comes as a joyous interruption from the ladies, we learn, that comes at a world full of loss. It interrupts that. It comes with a world full of disappointment. But what about these these other characters here, the disciples in verse 36? It comes to a world that is disturbed and interrupts them. 
Look at what happens at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood amongst them, and he said to them, I love what he says, he said, peace be to you. But notice these descriptors. Now, remember who we're describing. We're describing the disciples. And remember what Jesus said through Paul about the apostles? He says that our faith is built, listen to this, our faith is built on a foundation. And that foundation of our faith is the prophets and the apostles with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone that holds it all together. And he comes to them. Look at the descriptors that he uses to describe them. He says they were startled, verse 37. They were frightened, verse 38. They were troubled. And they had doubts that arose in their hearts. Is there anyone here that you would think of, you would think of yourself and you would say, you know, some of those descriptors describe me. If I think about walking with Jesus... If I think about living the life that God has called me to live for Him, then some of these descriptors, it really describe my circumstance. Matter of fact, if I could look back at some of my circumstances this week, maybe you faced a trial. Maybe you faced a challenge where someone wanted to challenge your faith. Maybe you could say that you know what it's like to be startled, frightened, troubled, and doubt. And if that's you, then you're in good company. But notice this. God did not allow, Jesus Christ did not allow the doubts that they had from him, for him, to him, about him, he didn't let doubt stop him from coming to them and calling them to himself. Friends, there are so many in our world that are full of doubt, so many in our world that are troubled, so many in our world that are frightened, so many in our world that are startled, but that doesn't stop King Jesus from going to them going to them just as they are. And notice what he says. He says, first thing that he says, he says, peace. It's like he knows that this is going to bring, this is going to bring, this is going to change the entire world. He knows that. And oftentimes we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel that we serve, it's a heavy gospel. You think about, for example, what we really believe. We believe that there was a once previously dead man, there was a man who was once dead, who now is alive. He was only dead for three days. And then after the third day, he rose again. Now, doesn't that sound strange? We believe something even beyond that. We believe that this previously once dead man is one day going to come. He's going to split the eastern sky. I hope this is east. I looked this way last service too. He's going to split the eastern sky and he's going to come riding on a white horse. Doesn't that sound strange? But this is what we believe. We believe, listen, that the only way to have your sins forgiven is to trust in what God has accomplished for you through sending his son, Jesus Christ. The only way for you to find satisfaction, the only way for you to find joy, the only way for you to find belonging is to trust wholly in Jesus Christ. And the world, the world looks at this and says, no, 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 this, this doesn't even sound right. This, is not the, this, isn't the, uh, this isn't the first time in this passage that these disciples have doubted. Look at this, for example. Verse 11 of chapter 24. The, the women, they go back, and these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. 
Now, some I'm talking to, and I talk about the previous dead man who's now alive, and he's going to come back on the white horse, but in the eastern sky. There may be some within the sound of my voice that you're with them. That seems like an idle tale to you. You're right here where these disciples were. You're right here in this point. Has Jesus risen from the dead? Yes. Can you stop Jesus from right? Can you put Jesus back in the tomb? Absolutely not. There's nothing you can do. It's inevitable. What has happened has happened. And the question of the ages is, do you believe this? And if you do believe this, then what difference has it made in your life? You see, we as a church, we've entitled this series Leaning into the Wind because what we want to do is we want to learn what it means for First Baptist Startville to, uh, to listen to God, and we want to become the kind of church that is, is doing everything that we can do for all that He is. In other words, we want to take Him at His word And we want to live a life telling the world that Jesus is alive, and that's made a difference in my life. That's made a difference in in our life as a church. We want to set the sail of this big church. And our church has a wonderful footprint in this community, has a wonderful footprint in this state. We want to set our sail in the direction of God's mission of salvation. Because we are, listen to me, and I pray that this is you, we are convinced that the world needs Jesus now more than ever. And that was a good time for you to say amen. I'll try, to, I'll try that again. That's all right. We are convinced now more than ever that the world needs Jesus. Amen. And if that's true, if we're really convinced that the world needs Jesus, then what are we going to do about it? Do we really believe that people are going to find their hope in some, some self-help book or visiting some counselor and nothing wrong with any of those things. But what do we know? We know that the only power to save a soul comes from believing that Jesus Christ is alive, Jesus Christ is Lord, and Jesus Christ is coming. And so what we want to do then is we want to set the sail of our church in this direction that God intends to take us. And that intention that God intends to tell, take us is what's going to make the greatest difference in this society. Because only we as Christians, only us, we are the ones who have the, listen, we are the ones who have the market on hope. We are the ones who have the market on joy. Now, you may, you may look at some churches, you may look at me sometimes, you think, well, hey, you know, he doesn't look like he has a lot of joy. He doesn't look like he has a lot of hope. Hopefully you won't say that. But anyway, the idea is that we are the ones as believers, we have the market on this. You're not going to find this good news anywhere else. And there's not one, there's not a, our society needs this message. Startville, Mississippi State, the whole state of Mississippi, the whole southeast, the whole world needs this message. And the gospel is going to come and hit people where they are and interrupt them. You see, none of these characters in Luke 24, none of them knew that the world, listen to me, none of them knew that the world was beginning to begin again. None of them realize, as N.T. Wright has said, that Jesus, by walking out of the tomb, that he was the, a, a 
part of new creation right in the middle of the old one. Jesus, when he walked out of the tomb, he started new creation right in the middle of the old one. And we get to go with a message of hope. We get to go with a message of satisfaction. We get to go into this world that is is at a loss, that is longing and filled full of disappointments, people who are disturbed, and we get to go and troubled about so many things, and we get to go and we get to interrupt them, the chaos of their moment, with a greater story. And the greater story is there was a once, there was a man who was once dead. He died not for sins of his own, but he took all of my guilt, all of my shame, all of my sorrow. When I was left without a purpose, when I was wondering what I should do, Jesus showed me. Jesus saved me. Jesus helped me. Jesus healed me. We get to go and we get to live our life in front of the world that's desperate and longing for hope. Let me tell you, I told this to the first service, and I want to tell you this. Let me tell you the way that I'm praying for you as a church. Listen to me. And I mean this with all sincerity, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. We are saying that we want to live sin as First Baptist. What does that mean? It means we want to follow Jesus and invite everyone to follow us. Here's what I'm praying for you. I would pray, I am praying that God would make you miserable in your circumstances until you learn what it means to take your life and live it all for the glory of God. If you're here today and you are not convinced that only Jesus satisfies, then I am praying that he would make you miserable until you realize that there is no satisfaction to be found anywhere else other than Jesus Christ. What I want us to do, because our world needs it and because our Savior demands it, he didn't just send us here to come to church on Sundays and pat one another on the back and say, oh, that's a great job. He gave us this opportunity to live, listen to this, as salt and light in the world. Salt provides light where there's darkness. Uh, Light, excuse me, salt provides, um, uh, what does salt do? Excuse me. Salt, what's it, what's it do? Preserve. That's the word that I'm looking for. Salt preserves a society that's sick and decaying. Light shines, shines light where there's darkness. And that's what we get to do. You and I have this, it's, listen, it's an obligation that's placed upon us. You are saved, yes, for yourself. Yes, so that you can be called a friend of God. You're saved, yes, so that you can enjoy all the benefits of heaven and walking with the Spirit. But you're not, if you really understand God's intention for you, then you'll understand that just as God gave his life so that you could live for him forever, so now we want to be most like God when we're giving our lives for others so that they can live with him forever. Now, what does that mean for you? Does that mean that you have to become a preacher? Well, some of you, you may need to answer the call to preaching. Does that mean that you have to go and uh, go into the monastery and, and just, you know, do Gregorian chant or, or whatever it is? No, that, that, not necessarily. Some of you may be called to that monastic lifestyle, but some of you may be called to be a professor. 
Some of you may be called to be a parent. Some of you may be called to be a plumber. Any other P words I can get out there? The idea is that whatever you do, you now have this motivation. You now have this motivation because your life has been truly interrupted by the greatest news imaginable. You now are joining this great force, listen to me, this great force of hope and joy that's been released into this world. You see your life as no longer your own. You see your life, you understand redemption, that you were bought with a purpose, and now every purpose you now have is to find your purpose in living for the God who bought you, who gave himself for you. And what has God said? He said it very plainly. Make disciples. Tell somebody about Jesus. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, just be faithful and scatter the seeds of the gospel no matter where you are. Maybe that looks like tipping a, 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 a server well at the end of the service when you go out for lunch. Please, if you don't tip your server, don't tell them that you come to First Baptist Church, all right? Please don't do that. Seriously. Maybe that looks like being kind to that person who's in front of you. Maybe it looks like having that conversation with that neighbor that you know needs to hear the good news of Jesus. Maybe it's reaching out and taking that, whatever it is, do all that you do. I want us, I'm praying for us as a church that we will lean into this wind that God is, 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 uh, is causing to blow, this gospel wind of hope and joy all through our society. He's, listen to this, he's determined to save people. That's what he does. He's in the saving business, and he wants to reach those who are on the edges, those who are just about ready to fall off, and he's going to use you to do that. I've said this now three weeks in a row. You get to, you get, to get involved in the, greatest, in the greatest purpose imaginable. You get to live your life now all leveraged for King Jesus. And if you want to do that, if you're ready to go all in to God and say, yes, Lord, you have this posture that says, all right, okay, I'm ready. All, everything that I do, from the papers that I write to the trash that I take out to whatever else the case may be, what can I expect? What can I expect when we lean into this gospel win? Three things very quickly. The first thing you can expect is you'll go from not knowing what to do to knowing exactly what you should do. Some of us say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to serve. I don't know how to serve Jesus. Let me give you a clue from this text. Notice at verse 4, the women go from being perplexed. The next thing that they do at verse 9, they return from the tomb, and what do they do? They tell all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. What should you do if you are going to what should you expect if you're going to lean into the gospel wind? Well, the first thing is you're going to know exactly what you should do. You say, what should I do? You should tell somebody. You should tell somebody about Jesus. Tell somebody of the hope that rests in the power. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't depend upon your presentation. Thank God, right? Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do our diligence to be as prepared as we can to answer the questions that people may throw at us. But we just have to tell somebody about Jesus. And let me say this. 
As you know this, as my uncle who was in law enforcement for 30-some-odd years, he said, he said, you can make your mouth say anything, or maybe your daddy said it to you like this, actions speak louder than words. What good is it, believer, for us to truly say that we believe that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is Lord, and that Jesus is coming unless we, unless we act like it? So what should you do? You'll know exactly what you should do when you lean into the gospel win. You should tell somebody. The second expectation that you should have is you will be convinced that God can do more. You'll be convinced that God can do more. You say, where are you getting that from? Well, look right here at verse 21. He, these are these disciples on the road to Emmaus, and here they're disappointed. It says that we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all these things, it's been the third day since these things happened. And then skip down because of time this morning. Jesus then comes, and he opens up the Scriptures for them. And look at what he says at verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road and while he opened us the scriptures. You see what just happened? They go from being disappointed to having a burning heart. They go from being disappointed to having a burning heart for Jesus. And I'm speaking to individuals here who have faced so many disappointment, so many disappointments, the remedy for you to have your heart burning for Jesus is for you to be convinced that he can do more. You may have a plan and a purpose for your life. Does that plan line up with what God's plan is? I am so grateful. Listen, and I'll, I'll be honest. I am so grateful that God's purpose was bigger than me. I never in my life imagined that I would be standing in Starkville, Mississippi, preaching at the First Baptist Church. I never imagined that. But boy, I sure am glad that I am. The difference between being disappointed and having a heart burning for Jesus is being convinced that God can do more. When you have your plan, when you have your expectations, all these dreams that you have, and it's good to plan. It's good to have dreams. It's good to have expectations. But do you believe that God can do more? For example, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, listen to it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Now, I don't know about you, but I can ask for a lot. I can think about a whole lot. And here's the point. They thought one thing, but God had something better. They missed redemption's story because they were in the cul-de-sac of their own reasoning. Be convinced, dear beloved believer, that God can do more. And the third and final thing, the third and final thing that we can expect when we lean into the gospel win. Number three, and this is my favorite, we can expect inexpressible joy. Inexpressible joy. Look at the passage in chapter 24 and verse 40. Uh, let's go to verse 39. After they're troubled and frightened and startled with doubts, Jesus says, see my hands and my feet, that it's I myself, touch me and see. 
for spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And look at the way this is written. Pay attention here, verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, what on earth is going on there? You know what I think this is? This is well, number one, it's, it's hard in the original language. But beyond that, it's Luke trying. Remember, Luke, he's sitting down with these people, and he's getting their firsthand account. And when it comes to this moment where it says, hey, what was that like when Jesus came to you? I have no idea. But here's what it was like. Some of you today, you've experienced Jesus in your life. You know that he's real. I remember my mother telling me an occasion where she said that she looked around to see whether or not Jesus was there because of the thick feeling that she had that the presence of God was all around her. Have you come to the point in your life beyond the doubt, beyond the fear, beyond all of these failed expectations, have you come to the point of absolute surrender where you have encountered the risen Lord by faith, listen to me, by faith, through his word, where you take those thoughts that you have and you surrender and you say, not as I will, but as you will, I must decrease, he must increase, and then all of a sudden you're filled with this feeling of, I I can't explain it. You just have to experience it. And I love the way Jesus, he comes in. Verse 41, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. And then he breaks up the tense moment and he says, hey guys, you got anything to eat? This is the kind of Savior we have. The kind of Savior that reorients all of our dreams reorients all of our expectations and calls us to give everything that we have to him, calls us to live a life motivated that Jesus is alive, Jesus is king, and Jesus is coming. Look, for example, one final thing. Verse 52 says, they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with Notice this word, with great joy. You know what the whole book of Acts, Luke ends and then he opens his second volume in Acts. The whole book of Acts tells us about the ministry and the spread, the ministry of the church and the spread of the gospel. And the way that the gospel spreads is through a ministry of joy, inexpressible joy. We have an opportunity to go to a world that's lost, to a world that's dying, and tell them, you know what, there's hope. And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer for us as a church. It's my prayer for you as an individual that we will take God at his word and set ourselves in the direction of inexpressible joy. And just see where God's going to take us. Just see. We hope that you enjoyed this message from First Baptist Startwell. And if you did, make sure to subscribe so you can listen to our sermons as soon as they're available every week. If you'd like more information about how you can live sent at First Baptist Startwell, please visit fbcstartwell.com slash connect.